7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America, 3 p.m. in London, Kyoto, Japan. It is 11 at night. And here in Malaysia, it's 1943. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. I refuse, actually. To be honest, I had to go to the office today. They were doing some new photographs. So, yeah, I know. This one. But uh, I actually put pants on today. First time for pants. First time back in the office in like, you know, four and a half years. I, whatever. It's It's been a long time, okay? <laughs> anyway, yeah, we made it. We got there. We got back. And uh, it's all right. Not bad. Not too bad. Um, what else is going on? It's been hot. It's been wet. Oh, my God. Last night, it rained the whole night. I think it was the whole night long. And then today, sunshine, fair weather skies. And then later on in the day, we had some typical late day rain. But right, even right now, it's sprinkling out a little bit. So, yeah, it, the weather's been kind of mishmash rojak kind of a mess so anyway we're live on facebook youtube j sheldon malaysia channel there on youtube please subscribe also twitch.tv and rumble.com slash j sheldon we're also a podcast thank you for those of you who are listening to the audio version of our show uh you can find the video version uh, if you don't catch us live Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, you can find all of our past episodes, including this one, uploaded to rumble.com slash jsheldonnopants or just jsheldon. Either channel will work. But we are live on the jsheldon channel. I'm trying to switch everything over to that because it's just easier. But anyway, for the moment, it's kind of separated out. You'll get it anyway. So just sign up for a free account over there no no money involved and um subscribe if you can thank you for that and of course if you do want to get a little money involved you can go to our patreon page and help support the broadcast that is patreon.com slash j sheldon um there's a little small you know basically cup of coffee kind of money and uh there's different levels you can sign up for there it's all explained at the page just go to patreon.com slash j sheldon and you'll find it there and thank you for those of you who have all right it's time for a little miko miko update <laughs> yep miko update uh, the little girl is doing well and we had a very late night walk last night because it was in the dark actually as i said we've had rain so you know she loves to get wet she loves being wet. She loves walking through puddles. But I bought her this inflatable pool for the yard and we fill it up with water and she will have nothing to do with it. When, when, uh, when she, we put her in, pick her up, put her in the pool, she jumps right back out again. Yet when I'm watering my bonsai trees or the garden in the back, she can't get enough of the water. When it's raining, she loves to go out and get wet. But she won't go in the pool. What the hell, dog? 
<laughs> anyway, she's doing well. And uh, yeah, thank you for asking. I get a lot of uh, questions about Miko. Uh, you can get even fresher updates usually on my Facebook page over at Jay Sheldon. You can check. All my posts are public. So it's out there. Whoever wants to look at it, look at it. You want to make a comment, make a comment. So yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. I put the headline up tonight. Uh, how much do you value your freedom? Or do you cherish your freedom? And uh, I saw a conversation today, today, yesterday, I think today, uh, that really made me realize the difference between Asian thinking, or to be more specific, because my only experience is Malaysian thinking, and Western thinking. Now, look, I always hate it when people say, oh, that's Western values on some topics, because frankly, it's hum human values, okay? Not Western, Eastern, the separation between the two. But I saw an example today of the way I think about my freedoms, freedoms as an American, and the way Asian people think about their freedoms. Um, <laughs> a couple of things that I saw that relate to this, and let me just go right to this uh, Facebook page. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, I will explain. Uh, this is a sign on the side of a barn somewhere, but it says, the freedoms you surrender today are the freedoms your grandchildren will never know existed. Think about that. Wasn't it Ronald Reagan, I think, who said something like, we're only one generation away from losing our freedoms or something along those lines. I'm pretty sure it was Reagan. Now, like Reagan or not, whether you appreciate the man and his policies and all, um, he did say a few things that really made a lot of sense. That was one of them, frankly. Um, yeah. The freedoms you surrender today are the freedoms that your grandchildren will never know existed. That's if you surrender them today. Um, all of this has to do, really, with the arguments for and against being vaccinated, uh, being not vaccinated, whether you should, whether you shouldn't, uh, social pressure to be vaccinated. Um, I've told you before, whether or not I'm vaccinated has nothing to do with anything. It is my own private medical information, as is yours. And I don't want to know what your status is, whether you're vaccinated or not. It doesn't matter to me because that's your own private thing. It's between you and your doctor and it's frankly none of my business, nor is mine yours. Um, and that leads me to the second little post I saw here from Tom Ammerman. Thank you, Tom, for that. A tip of the hat to you. Uh, it's brilliant. What's right for you may not be right for me. And what's right for me may not be right for you. But what is not right is either one of us being stripped of the freedom to choose what is right for ourselves. For whatever reason, you may get stripped of that right. Social pressure, 
regulations, laws, whatever it might be. I like that a lot. Thank you, Tom, for, uh, for posting that. Very, very cool. Um, the conversation that I saw today, I have blocked out all of the identifying items in this. So let me just pop over here and get into, hang on, hang on. It's, uh, it's the old man trying to figure out the technology. So stay with me. <laughs> All right. So this is a post. I've taken out anything that could possibly personally identify anybody in this post, both the replies, except for my own, where you'll see my name. And I didn't reply. I didn't get involved in the conversation. But it is something I wanted to talk about tonight because it really made me realize the difference between my appreciation of my freedoms and the way Asian people, not all, but a lot, think about their freedoms. Here's the original post. Wearing a mask and getting a COVID-19 vaccine has become highly politicized in certain countries. Conversations about these issues end up being about politics which can lead to a strain in relationships. The divisiveness of vaccine and wearing masks have caused rifts between family and friends, as well as colleagues. Now, absolutely nothing controversial about that. You're right, the person who posted this. You could not possibly be more right. This ridiculous argument between families, colleagues, friends, between whether you get vaccinated, whether you're in favor of it or you're not in favor of it. Like I said, you do you. Whatever you decide is right for you is right for you. Um, the comments are what kind of got me. Uh, somebody commented, whatever happened to amicably agreeing to disagree? Well, that's, you know, that's kind of like what I said. Agree to disagree. You do you, I do me. And that doesn't make you wrong, me right, or me right, or you wrong. Here's the one that rang a bell. It says, liberty and freedom overpowers common sense sometimes. Well, my friend, whoever that was, in fact, I don't even remember who that was that posted it, and I don't care. But the comment that I would make about that is that liberty and freedom has... <laughs> is not in a competition with common sense. You need to learn to value your liberty and your freedom. People fought and died. People have lost limbs to preserve those freedoms. You should respect that. It has nothing to do with a lack of common sense if you value your liberty and your freedom. Your liberty and freedom should be valued above almost everything. Again, I'm coming at this from an American perspective, and that's one of the reasons why I sit here almost exactly halfway around the earth, looking back at what's happening to my home country and shaking my head in disgust at some of the ridiculous crap 
that is going on right now. How you folks back there in the U.S. are putting up with this is beyond me. I, I have never been more grateful not to be there. Anyway, that's the first one of these. The, uh, the rest of this says, I don't understand why they're not eager for protection, instead risk themselves that way. Well, it's a personal choice. Due to active campaign of misinformation by politicians and or religious leaders for personal interest on the one hand and ignorant followers on the other. Again, this person obviously doesn't believe in personal choice. Uh, it's a shame once they got COVID, they're going to be saddled and with scarred lungs for life. Mm. Yeah. Very humanitarian of you. Uh, it's okay if the culprits got infected themselves because they deserve it. They deserve it? How low of a human being do you have to be to make a comment like that? It's disgusting. You should be ashamed of yourself. And someone said, yeah, true. It's more painful when loved ones are affected because of pride and blind knowledge. Well, that depends upon what the choices are and why they were made. Whether it was just a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, whether somebody studied the science, for whatever the reason might be. But it is a personal choice. And... Uh, I would encourage you not to hold people's personal choices against them. And by the way, while I mention it, just happen to think of this, there are some people who are unable to get the vaccine for legit medical reasons. So keep those people in mind too. They already have other issues that may or may not allow them to be vaccinated. You ever think about that? No, you're too busy thinking about how you can put social pressure on people who should not be pressured or sticking your nose in people's business that is none of your business. So, there you go. Uh, some interesting articles related to uh, this topic that I saw. One from the Malay Mail. I think a link, yeah, a link to this will be in the show notes uh, for this show. And, uh, you know, I, much as I truly believe everything I just said, this isn't a bad idea. Kids are going back to school here in Malaysia. And this article from the Malay Mail, malaymail.com, teachers who refuse to be vaccinated against COVID-19 may be transferred elsewhere if their actions cause the teaching and learning process of students to be affected. Now, you see, I can almost agree with this because you're not saying get the vaccine or you're fired. You're saying if you choose not to, that's your personal choice. However, we're going to have to restrict you in some way uh, to transfer you out. If, if it causes the teaching and learning process of students to be affected. Now, how they're going to judge that, don't know remains to be seen. Uh, 2,500 teachers have refused to be vaccinated. Now only about 
2,000 of them currently. Uh, might look like a small number, but we can't let this go on. That's according to the Senior Education Minister, Datuk Radzi Jaidin, I believe. And um, his ministry was waiting for the Public Service Department to decide on the appropriate action to be taken. Uh, it says against the teachers. Well, let's hope it's not against the teachers, but some sort of compromise perhaps can be made just because somebody has made some personal choices. Uh, this, a Twitter feed. Uh, by the way, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's it's Jay Sheldon, I-T-S-J Sheldon. You can follow me over there on Twitter. I've become much more active on Twitter lately, by the way. Not quite sure why, but I, but I have. <laughs> so anyway, this is an interesting story from BFM. Uh, our local news uh, radio station here. An ex-soldier who refused the COVID-19 jab has filed a judicial review at the KL High Court to quash the decision of the Malaysian Armed Forces to discharge him from service. Uh, Free Malaysia Today reports Juan Romley is demanding a full declaration that his termination is null and void. He was dishonorably discharged for rejecting the vaccine. Uh, he may be reinstated if he takes the vaccine. However, uh, Army Chief General Zamroz Zain said the decision to dismiss him stands for now. That's similar to what's going on right now in the US where the idiot Biden has mandated uh, vaccines for federal employees, army, military in general, and they're losing a lot of really good military people because they're making the personal choice, which they have the freedom supposedly to do, to not get vaccinated. It's a mess. I told you it's a mess. However, love him or hate him, KJ is a cool dude. And I'm just going to say it right up front. Uh, our health minister, our new health minister, um, Kyrie uh, Jamaluddin, has said something that should have been said a long time ago. I don't usually get so much into Malaysian politics here on the stream because I'm not really... I'm a guest here, and I fully appreciate the fact that I am a guest here. Truly, truly believe me, I really appreciate that fact. So I stay out of political crap in Malaysia as much as I can. But I love this. Kyrie, keep kicking butt. Finally, it's been said, get healthy as the first defense against infections. Yes! As Malaysia moves towards COVID endemicity. Wow, there's a word I've never heard before. Endemicity? I don't even know what that means. Anyway, our health minister, uh, Kyrie, says get healthy. And you know what? Vitamin D, sunshine, exercise, losing weight, all of that stuff goes a long way. There's, there's uh, Kyrie. Um, and it goes a long way towards making sure that you stay healthy. Vaccines, 
whatever, ivermectin. Am I supposed to say that or will I get banned from YouTube? Probably. But whatever that might be, you do you. But hopefully you do you includes getting healthy, making right choices, get some exercise, even get out and get a walk, get some sunshine, get some vitamin D. Uh, the key to Malaysia's socioeconomic recovery from COVID-19 for its people to adopt a healthy lifestyle, Kyrie Jamaluddin said today. Congratulations, KJ. Brilliant and exactly right and <clears throat> needed saying a long time ago, sadly, but now it's been said. And thank goodness for that. Really cool. Finally, they're talking about it as things begin to loosen up and open up around here. All right, uh, let's jump off this topic and move on to something else. Uh, not so far away removed from what we've been talking about. But anyway, at end of the end of the day, the bottom line, you do you. I'll do me. Whatever your personal choices are, you have all my respect. Whatever my personal choices are, I would hope you would return the feeling. Okay, this is a letter sent by a school principal. There are exams going on soon. Uh, I know I just saw an article on how some teenagers, I think, got charged because they put wi uh, Bluetooth tech, they embedded it in their sandals in a way to try and cheat on these really important exams that are coming up. But anyway, there was an exam scheduled and a school principal, I don't know where this is from, I think it's probably the U.S., but anyway, it applies wherever. And this is the letter that was sent by a school principal just before the exams happened. Dear parents, the exams of your children are about to start soon, and I know you're all really anxious for your child to do well. But please do remember among the students who'll be sitting for the exams, there's an artist who doesn't need to understand math. There's an entrepreneur who doesn't care about history or English literature. There's a musician whose chemistry marks won't matter. There's an athlete whose physical fitness is more important than physics. If your child doesn't get top marks, that's great. But if he or she doesn't, please don't take away their self-confidence and dignity from them. Tell them it's okay. It's just an exam. They're cut out for much bigger things in life. Tell them no matter what they score, you love them and you will not judge them. Wow. Powerful words and brilliantly written by this principal just before these kids take off to, uh, to do an exam. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right. Um, we love reading. We do all we can to encourage people to read on this show. The last part of our show from the very beginning has been reading classic books, a chapter at a time or so. And uh, we have done all that we can to try and encourage you to read. By the way, the links to a lot of the stories we talk about will be in our show notes. 
the description of the show. Um, we've talked before about these little free libraries. They're little, little houses set up. They look like a newspaper vending machine, but they're free. And people will put them on their front lawn facing the road. Some people grow herb gardens around them and things, but basically the idea is they're protected with little glass doors. You can open it. Inside are all the people's extra books. They want to share for free. And uh, if you see one of these little free libraries, you can drop off a donated book or two. If you have some you've already read, you want to donate. And at the same time, you can take a book. It's all free. It's a brilliant idea. And, and it's a great way, both as adults and as for children, to read. And by the way, we keep telling you on this show that studies have shown that reading a book by yourself or being read to is just as critical and just as important. So whether you read books to your kids or you encourage them to read, both do wonders. So the Little Free Library Project, which is so cool, you'll find them over on uh, Facebook at Little Free Library. Just check it out. But look at this. There's an awesome signed donated book found in one of the Little Free Libraries from Fred Rogers. Check this out. Uh, donation steward Byron F., found this in her little free library in Chico, California. That is, uh, let me get my mouse back here. That is, of course, Mr. Rogers' books, uh, book, Mr. Rogers Talks with Parents. And inside the front cover, it is signed by Fred Rogers. It says, uh, for Ingrid, with great appreciation and respect, Fred Rogers. What a find. That's so cool. <laughs> An actual signed book from Mr. Rogers. Did you watch that, by the way, with Tom Hanks, the Mr. Rogers film? I loved that movie. That was brilliant. Say what you want about Tom Hanks, but uh, that movie was really good. And it's not a, sim it's not a kid's movie by any stretch. But uh, if you have a chance, check it out because it's really, really cool. Um, it's, it's a great film. Uh, I forget what it's called. Is it called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood or something like that? Ah, look it up. It's Tom Hanks and Mr. Rogers' film, and it's really, really good. You'll enjoy it. All right. Uh, what else we got going on? We have our book. Yeah, since we're talking about books, we might as well jump right into it. Uh, we, <laughs> we have been doing, um, uh, The War of the Worlds from H.G. Wells. I think we're on chapter 13 tonight, and um, it's been a very interesting ride uh, getting through this uh, story. It's longer than I thought it was. This book goes on for quite a while. This might even take us through to Halloween, which would be appropriate since it's the War of the Worlds. Uh, this is the original 1898 serialized magazine version, it, 1897. It was then published in a book in its full form a year later in 1898. So a long time ago, but it uh, still holds up even today. Uh, and here we go. We always like to have our little graphics pop up while we're reading our book. So uh, give me half a second here. 
and I grab a quick swig of coffee, wet the whistle, and uh, move on over to the War of the Worlds. It is chapter 14. Oh, okay, we got done with 13 last, uh, last stream, so we're on chapter 14, which is simply entitled, In London. My younger brother was in London when the Martians fell at walking. He was a medical student working for an imminent examination, and he heard nothing of the arrival until Saturday morning. The morning papers on Saturday contain, in addition to lengthy special articles on the planet Mars, life in the planets, and so forth, a brief and vaguely worded telegram, all the more striking for its brevity. The Martians, alarmed by the approach of a crowd, had killed a number of people with quick-firing gun. So the story ran. The telegram concluded with the words, Formidable as they seem to be, the Martians have not moved from the pit into which they have fallen, and indeed seem incapable of doing so. Probably this is due to the relative strength of the Earth's gravitational energy. And on that last text, their leader-writer expanded very comfortingly. Of course, all the students in the Kramer's biology class, to which my brother went that day, were intensely interested. But there were no signs of any unusual excitement in the streets. The afternoon papers puffed scraps of news under big headlines. They had nothing to tell beyond the movements of the troops about the common and the burning of the pine woods between walking and Weybridge until eight. Then the St. James Gazette, in an extra special edition, announced the bare fact of the interruption of telegraphic communication. This was thought to be due to the falling of burning pine trees across the line. Nothing more of the fighting was known that night, the night of my drive to Leatherhead and back. My brother felt no anxiety about us, as he knew from the description in the papers that the cylinder was a good two miles from my house. He made up his mind to run down that night to me in order, as he says, to see the things before they were killed. He dispatched a telegram, which never reached me, about four o'clock, and spent the evening at a music hall. In London, also on Saturday night, there was a thunderstorm, and my brother reached Waterloo in a cab. On the platform from which the midnight train usually starts, he learned, after some waiting, that an accident prevented trains from reaching walking that night. The nature of the accident could not be ascertained. Indeed, the railway authorities did not clearly know at that time. There was very little excitement in the station as the officials, failing to realize that anything further than a breakdown between Byfleet and Walking Junction had occurred, were running the theater trains which usually passed through Walking round by Virginia Water or Guilford. They were busy making the necessary arrangements to alter the route of the Southampton and Portsmouth Sunday League excursions. A nocturnal newspaper reporter mistaking my brother for the traffic manager, to whom he bears a slight resemblance, waylaid and tried to interview him. 
Few people, excepting the railway officials, connected the breakdown with the Martians. I've read in another account of these events that on Sunday morning, all London was electrified with the news from walking. As a matter of fact, there was nothing to justify that very extravagant phrase. Plenty of Londoners did not hear of the Martians until the panic of Monday morning. Those who did took some time to realize all that the hastily worded telegrams in the Sunday papers conveyed. The majority of people in London don't read Sunday papers. The habit of personal security, however, is so deeply fixed in the Londoner's mind, and startling intelligence so much a matter of course in the papers, that they could read without any personal tremors. About seven o'clock last night, the Martians came out of the cylinder, and, moving about under an armor of metallic shields, have completely wrecked walking station with the adjacent houses, and massacred an entire battalion of the Cardigan Regiment. No details are known. Maxims have been absolutely useless against their armor. The field guns have been disabled by them. Flying hussars have been galloping into Chertsey. The Martians appear to be moving slowly towards Chertsey or Windsor. Great anxiety prevails in West Surrey, and earthworks are being thrown up to check the advance, Londonward. That was how the Sunday Sun put it. A clever and remarkably prompt handbook article in the reference compared the affair to a menagerie suddenly let loose in a village. No one in London knew positively of the nature of the armored Martians. And there was still a fixed idea that these monsters must be sluggish, crawling, creeping painfully, such expressions occurred in almost all the earlier reports. None of the telegrams could have been written by an eyewitness of their advance. The Sunday papers printed separate editions as further news came to hand, some even default of it. But there was practically nothing more to tell people until late in the afternoon when the authorities gave the press agencies the news in their possession. It was stated that the people of Walton and Weybridge, and all the district were pouring along the roads Londonward, and that was all. My brother went to church at the Foundling Hospital in the morning, still ignorant of what was happening in the previous night. There he learned allusions made to the invasion and a special prayer for peace. Coming out, he bought a referee. He became alarmed at the news in this, and went again to Waterloo Station to find out if communications were restored. The omnibuses, carriages, cyclists, and the innumerable people walking in their best clothes seemed scarcely affected by the strange intelligence that the news vendors were disseminating. People were interested, or, if alarmed, alarmed only on account of the local residents. At the station he heard for the first time that the Windsor and Chertsey lines were now interrupted. The porters told him that several remarkable telegrams had been received in the morning from Byfleet and Chertsey Station, but that these had abruptly ceased. My brother could get 
very little precise detail out of them. There's fighting going on about Weybridge, was the extent of their information. The train service, now very much disorganized, quite a number of people who'd been expecting friends from places on the southwestern network were standing about the station. One gray-haired old gentleman came and abused the southwestern company bitterly to my brother. It wants showing up, he said. One or two trains came in from Richmond, Putney, Kingston, containing people who'd gone out for a day's boating and found the locks closed and a feeling of panic in the air. A man in a blue and white blazer addressed my brother, full of strange tidings. There's hosts of people driving into Kingston in traps and carts and things with boxes of valuables and all that, he said. They come from Molesley and Weybridge and Walton, and they say there's been guns heard at Chertsey, heavy firing, and that mounted soldiers have told them to get off at once because Martians are coming. We heard guns firing at Hampton Court Station, but we thought it was thunder. What the dickens does it all mean? The Martians can't get out of their pit, can they? My brother couldn't tell him. Afterwards, he found the vague feeling of alarm had spread to the clients of the Underground Railway, and that the Sunday excursionists began to return from all over the southwestern Lung. Barnes, Wimbledon, Richmond Park, Kew, and so forth, and unnaturally early hours. Not a soul, though, had anything more than vague hearsay to tell of. Everyone connected with the terminus seemed ill-tempered. About five o'clock, the gathering crowd in the station was immensely excited by the opening of the line of communication, excited by which is almost invariably closed between the southeastern and the southwestern stations and the passage of carriage trucks bearing huge guns and carriages crammed with soldiers. Those were the guns that were brought up from Woolwich and Chatham to cover Kingston. There was an exchange of pleasantries. You'll get eaten. We're the beast tamers and so forth. A little while after that, a squad of police came into the station and began to clear the public off the platforms, and my brother went out into the street again. The church bells were ringing for evensong, and a squadron of Salvation Army lassies came singing down the Waterloo Road. On the bridge, a number of loafers were watching a curious brown scum that came drifting down the stream in patches. The sun was just setting, and the clock tower and the Houses of Parliament rose against one of the most peaceful skies it is possible to imagine, a sky of gold, barred with long transverse stripes of reddish-purple cloud. There was talk of a floating body. One of the men there, a reservist, he said he was, told my brother he'd seen the heliograph flickering in the west. In Wellington Street, my brother met a couple of sturdy roughs who'd just been rushed out of Fleet Station with still wet newspapers and staring placards. Dreadful catastrophe, they bawled one to the other down Wellington Street. Fighting at Weybridge, full description. 
repulse of the Martians, London in danger. He had to give three pence for a copy of that paper. Then it was, and then only, that he realized something of the full power and terror of these monsters. He learned that they were not merely a handful of small, sluggish creatures, but they were minds swaying vast mechanical bodies, and that they could move swiftly and smite with such power that even the mightiest guns could not stand against them. They were described as vast spider-like machines, nearly a hundred feet high, capable of the speed of an express train and able to shoot out a beam of intense heat. Massed batteries, chiefly of field guns, had been planted in the country about Horsell Common and especially between the walking district and London. Five of the machines had been seen moving towards the Thames and one, by a happy chance, had been destroyed. In the other cases, the shells had missed, and the batteries had been at once annihilated by the heat rays. Heavy losses of soldiers were mentioned, but the tone of the dispatch was optimistic. The Martians had been repulsed. They were not invulnerable. They had retreated to their triangle of cylinders again in the circle about walking. Signalers with heliographs were pushing forward upon them from all sides. Guns were in rapid transit from Windsor, Portsmouth, Aldershot, Woolwich, even from the north, among others. Long wire guns of 95 tons from Woolwich. Altogether, 116 were in position after being hastily placed, chiefly covering London. Never before in England had there been such a vast or rapid concentration of military material. Any further cylinders that fell, it was hoped, could be destroyed at once by high explosives, which were being rapidly manufactured and distributed. No doubt ran the report the situation was of the strangest and gravest description, but the public was exhorted to avoid and discourage panic. No doubt the Martians were strange and terrible in the extreme, but at the outside there could not be more than twenty of them against our millions. The authorities had to reason to suppose from the size of the cylinders that the outside there could not be more than five in each cylinder, fifteen altogether, and one at least was disposed of, perhaps more. The public would be fairly warned of the approach of danger, and elaborate measures were taken for the protection of the people in the threatened southwestern suburbs. And so, which, with reiterated assurances of the safety of London and the ability of the authorities to cope with the difficulty, this quasi-proclamation closed. This was printed in enormous type on paper so fresh that it was still wet and there had been no time to add a word of comment. It was curious, my brother said, to see how ruthlessly the usual contents of the paper had been hacked and taken out to give this place. All down Wellington Street, people could be seen fluttering out the pink sheets and reading, 
and the strand was suddenly noisy with the voices of an army of hawkers following these pioneers. Men came scrambling off buses to secure copies. Certainly this news excited people intensely, whatever their previous apathy. The shutters of a map shop in the Strand were being taken down, my brother said, and a man in his Sunday raiment, lemon-yellow gloves even, was visible inside the window, hastily fastening maps of Surrey to the glass. Going on along the Strand to Trafalgar Square, the paper in his hand, my brother saw some of the fugitives from West Surrey. There was a man with his wife and two boys and some articles of furniture in a cart, such as greengrocers use. He was driving from the direction of Westminster Bridge, and close behind him came a hay wagon, with five or six respectable-looking people in it, some boxes, bundles. The faces of these people were haggard. Their entire appearance contrasted conspicuously with the Sabbath-best appearance of the people on the omnibuses. People in fashionable clothing peeped out at them from cabs. They stopped at the square as if undecided which way to take. And finally, turning eastward along the strand, some way behind these came a man in workday clothes, riding one of those old-fashioned tricycles with a small front wheel. He was dirty and white in the face. My brother turned down towards Victoria, met a number of such people. He had a vague idea that he might see something of me. He noticed an unusual number of police regulating the traffic. Some of the refugees were exchanging news with the people on the omnibuses. One was professing to have seen the Martians. Boilers on stilts, I tell you, striding along like men. Most of them were excited and animated by their strange experience. Beyond Victoria, the public houses were doing a lively trade with these arrivals. At all the street corners, groups of people were reading papers, talking excitedly, or staring at these unusual Sunday visitors. They seemed to increase as night drew on, until at last the roads, my brother said, were like Epson High Street on Derby Day. My brother addressed several of these fugitives and got unsatisfactory answers from most of them. None of them could tell him any news of walking, except one man, who assured him walking had been entirely destroyed on the previous night. I come by Byfleet, he said. A man on a bicycle came through the place in the early morning and ran from door to door warning us to come away. Then came soldiers. We went out to look, and there were clouds of smoke to the north. Nothing but smoke, and not a soul coming that way. Then we heard the guns at Chertsey, and folks coming out from Weybridge. So I've locked up my house and come on. At that time, there was a strong feeling in the streets that the authorities were to blame for their incapacity to dispose of the invaders without all this inconvenience. About eight o'clock, a noise of heavy firing was distinctly audible over all of the south of London. 
My brother could not hear it for the traffic in the main thoroughfares, but striking through the quiet back streets to the river, he was able to distinguish it quite plainly. He walked from Westminster to his apartments near Regent's Park about two. He was now very anxious on my account and disturbed at the evident magnitude of the trouble. His mind was inclined to run, even as mine had run on Saturday, on military details. He thought of all those silent, expectant guns, of the suddenly nomadic countryside. He tried to imagine boilers on stilts a hundred feet high. And we're going to cut this chapter there and pick it up again on our next stream. This is a very long chapter. So we'll get back to it coming up on Wednesday night stream. Cool beans. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Goes on and on. We'll see what happens with, uh, with the author's brother. Uh, seems a bit nonplussed by the whole situation. <laughs> okay. Uh, there we go. All right, folks, thanks so much for uh, joining me uh, tonight. It's a Monday, <laughs> start of the work week. For some of you, just the beginning of your day. For us here in uh, Malaysia and the Asians, Asian countries, it's, uh, it's practically the end of the day. So enjoy it. Patreon.com slash Jay Sheldon if you'd like to help support the show. And uh, I will see you again on Wednesday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. Until then, thanks. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night.